All right, stand to your feet. Before we say the victory confession, I want us to read the word. We're going to stand for the reading of the word this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, just pull your Bible out. If the Bible's on your phone, pull it out on your phone. Go to Acts chapter 4. Come on. We are in our series, The Book of Acts. And we have been talking about how the early church started and what Jesus did when he birthed that church. So in Acts chapter 4, a healed man, a lame man just got healed. And Peter and John um, had stirred up kind of this almost like a riot in the city because someone got healed. They did something good for somebody. And uh, the religious people weren't happy about it. And Peter was preaching about it. And it says um, in verse 1, while Peter and John were speaking, preaching to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. So these are all the religious people. And they were sad, you see. And that's so cheesy. That's a, that's a cheesy preacher joke. And listen, religiosity is sad, you see. You know what I'm talking about? But a relationship with Jesus makes you glad, you see. I don't know what I'm okay. Just forget that. But these leaders were very disturbed, disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. So Peter and John's uh, joy and their hope and their compassion and their preaching about the resurrection disturbed the religious people and they arrested them. Now these were, these were temple church people that arrested Peter and John. They weren't actually policemen. They weren't the Roman centurions. They were religious people who put them in a religious prison. Be careful that the enemy doesn't put you in a religious prison. They arrested them since it was already evening and they put them in jail until morning. It was a temple jail. But many of the people who heard their message, you can chain up Peter and John, but you can't chain up the gospel. Many of the people who heard their message, once the gospel is planted, it spreads and the message began to spread. And the number of men who believed now totaled to about 5,000 people, all because of one man's miracle. Never underestimate the power of doing one good thing for one person. It could open the door for 5,000 people to get saved. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and the teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the guest, of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples, and they demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the religious council, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? I'll tell you clearly, let me state it to all of you and all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Come on, Jesus! Come on, I'm telling you today, we have victory through Jesus Christ. No other name. No other name can save us. No other name can heal us. No other name can deliver us. No other name brings peace. Peter said, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You could just feel Peter's just getting more bold by this. He's just looking at him. He's got some sass in him. He's just like, I'm going to tell it like it is. He says, Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. 
There is salvation in no one else. Not Buddha, not Hinduism, not good works, not yourself, not what any other religion out there says. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Is there any ordinary people in here today? Come on, you don't have to be extraordinary. You just need to put your faith in an extraordinary God. See, God takes ordinary men and women, unschooled, untrained, and he does incredible things when we just surrender to him. And it says that they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Remind us of the power that comes from being with you in your presence. Lord, even as we've been worshiping, even as we've been praying, as we've been giving, God, today I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fan into flame, God, that gift of the Holy Spirit that you've put inside of us. Lord, that power to live every single day, God, in obedience to your word, to your Holy Spirit, use us to do great things for your glory. God, I thank you that you can work through broken, flawed people like me. God, you don't need perfect people. You just need surrendered people. So I pray today, God, that you would work in us great grace, God, to do great things for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. All right. A divided world needs a united church. So let's stand united today. Let's lift each other's hands up on our left, on our right, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And come on, on this Sunday morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, while PGA is trying to figure out who the champion is, we already know who the real victor is. And let's speak by faith. You can't walk in victory if you talk in defeat. So let's talk today. Let's speak life on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right, give someone a high five or a hug. You may be seated. Come on, everybody say Acts. All right, like I said, we are in the series of Acts. We have been taking one chapter a week. We started this right after Easter, and uh, that puts us finishing the series at Christmas time. <laughs> this, this, this book has 28 chapters. Now, we'll probably have a couple weeks where we put some chapters together, but there's so much good stuff in the book of Acts, and this is really where our church finds a lot of our, our meanings, what we believe from what God started in the book of Acts. When Jesus rose from the dead, we started this series right after Easter on purpose because the book of Acts picks up right after the resurrection. Right after Jesus is crucified, buried, and he raises from the dead, he appears to 500 people, and then he tells them, wait in Jerusalem on the Holy Spirit. 
And as you wait, pray, wait actively. Will 120 out of 500 show up to pray? Come on, that's kind of like in the church, there's usually a percentage. The core always wants more. I'm looking at a core group today that wants more of God. You showed up, you showed up. And I believe as we show up, the Holy Spirit shows up. As they showed up and prayed, the Holy Spirit was poured out and then they begin to preach the gospel. People got saved and all of a sudden in Acts 3, this man gets healed. Peter and John are just walking to church to pray. They see a lame man, they see a need and they meet it. They see a hurt and they heal it. That's how the church is supposed to walk. When we walk down the street, we should see needs and we should say, there is power inside of me to do something about the needs in my community. I may not be able to fix everything, but I'm not gonna let that stop me from fixing something. I may not be able to offer everything for everyone, but I can offer something to someone. Don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. So Peter and John, they said, we don't have money, but we do have the name of Jesus. Does anyone here today have the name of Jesus? You may not have a million dollars, but you got the name of Jesus. You may not have a really nice house, but you got the name of Jesus. You may not have a car that works all the time, but you got the name of Jesus. Come on, don't act like we don't have something. Peter and John, they, they offered what they had, and they prayed for the man. They encouraged the man. He gets up, he starts walking, he starts leaping, he starts praising God, and the whole town. Sinners were attracted to Peter and John's message of hope. People who were broken, people who were ejected, people who felt outcast, people who weren't close to God, they were drawn to the message that Peter and John began to preach. But there was another group that was disturbed by it. And you would think the people who were annoyed at it were the people who didn't want to have anything to do with God, but it was actually the people who thought they knew God. They had traded information for intimacy. They knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. And when they saw Peter and John walking in this power, demonstrating this kind of authority, preaching with this boldness, laying hands on a sick man and seeing him get healed, they were greatly disturbed. Look at verse two of Acts chapter four. It says the leaders were very disturbed. They weren't just disturbed because they were preaching about the resurrection. They were disturbed because Peter and John were operating in their God-given potential. Anytime you start living with courage, people who aren't living with courage get greatly disturbed. Anytime you start operating with 100% of the potential that God's put inside you, there's someone out there who's operating at 50%. And instead of being inspired, they become jealous. But don't let them, you know, don't let their jealousy and insecurity stop you from being 100% who God's made you to be. Peter and John were not intimidated by the threats. They weren't intimidated by the insecurities or the jealousy. They just kept preaching. I want to talk to you today about where courage comes from. If you're taking notes, you can just write down where courage comes from. In this passage, we see courage and boldness as kind of the same thing. And so I wanna define for you what is this courageous boldness that they walked in. It is the willingness to take risks. When's the last time you took a risk? When's the last time you did something that was risky? This, this courage is risky, it's innovative, it's confidence, it's living with a daring mindset. It's going beyond the usual limits of conventional thought or action or convenience. It's being imaginative. It's being free from intimidation. 
Some of us today need to break the spirit of intimidation off of our lives. We are operating at a 50% level capacity of how God has created us to operate because we care way too much about what people think of us. We care way too much about offending someone. I would rather be a courageous man after God's own heart, offending some people along the way, than pleasing everybody and yet not living to the full potential that God's called me to walk in. God didn't call us to be liked by everybody. He didn't call us to be popular with everybody. Christianity is not an invitation to live convenient, comfortable, and fit in with the crowd. I just want to blend in. I don't want to stand out, Paul. I don't want to offend anybody. I just want to, I'm going to be a chameleon Christian. I'm going to be a covert Christian. No one will even know that I have any Christianity. I won't live with any, I'm not going to pray for anyone. I'm not going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to step out and try anything spiritually, uh, you know, risky. I'm just going to play it safe. I'll stay quiet. I'll stay to myself. No one will even know that I existed. That is not the call that Christ has called us to. He has called us to live with courage. He has called us to be bold witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we live like that, it's sure to disturb some people who don't. Life and love and anything you do for God will always require boldness. This last week, we graduated 79 seniors from Victory Christian School. And uh, yeah, come on. And at the graduation, we were honoring a lot of these athletes. They had an incredible year of sports, you know, baseball, made it to state, volleyball, won state championship, basketball, football, and soccer, guys and girls track. And I was reminded of a quote that someone sent to me a month ago. And it was a quote all about living with courage, living with boldness choosing not to be a critic. You know, this last week, PGA came through, right? All these golfers came through. Started with 150 and then, you know, by the weekend, got down to 70. And, and, uh, and all these golfers, and there's thousands of people that have come. In fact, in the last nine days, they've estimated that over $100 million has come to the city of Tulsa just because of the PGA tournament, which is amazing. All these people come and they watch the golfers. And I got a chance, someone gave me a ticket, so I got a chance to go over there and see Tiger Woods play. And I was standing you know, behind a few people, there's thousands of people, and people were critiquing him. They were like, did you see that? Did you see the way he moved? I know exactly what he was thinking. I know it. You know, these people, they know everything there is to know about Tiger. They're like, I remember this at the Masters. That's exactly, that's the same move he did. Did you see the way he grabbed his hip? We know exactly what's going on there. You know, they're telling me all the stats. It's one thing to know about God, it's another thing to know God. It's one thing to study scripture in the temple. It's another thing to live scripture out like Peter and John did. That was the difference between the religious group and the guys who had a relationship with Jesus. One group knew about God. One group actually walked with God. They followed Jesus. And, and while I was there, I, I was watching people as they were critiquing the athletes. I would have done that different. Oh, I could have hit that better. If I, uh, did, did you see what he did? Uh, he did it wrong. And I'm like, these are professional. They're trying their hardest, you know. But, but people who are always criticizing, people who are trying, they always think we can do it better. And I was reminded of this quote someone sent to me by Theodore Roosevelt. And it's a good quote that connects with Acts chapter 4. It is not the critic who counts. 
Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, mom, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better, Lizzie. The credit belongs to the man, Ty, who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, Courtney, who strives valiantly, John, who errs and who comes short time and time again, Dom, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, Debbie? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, Daniel, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, Abby, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I would rather be a flawed contributor in the arena serving in the kingdom of God than be a judgmental Caiaphas critic critiquing whether or not Peter and John should have healed a man on the Sabbath day. Well, we know everything there is to know about Peter. He cut a guy's ear off. He cussed last night. He cursed last. We saw what he did. We know these guys. I would rather be out there. At least Tiger showed up this week. At least some of these guys are out there giving their best. Let's stop being a critical group of people. Let's start being the contributors. They say, we're going to get out there. We're going to pray. And listen, the contributors in the kingdom of God, they weren't carrying the burden of the outcome. They were carrying the burden of obedience. Peter and John, they were not trying to figure out how many people were going to respond to the sermon. When they preached in Acts chapter 4, look at this in verse, in verse 3. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. Now stop right there. Peter and John cannot determine who believes. We can't determine the outcome of what happens with our seed. All we can do is plant the seed. Peter and John carried the burden of obedience, which was to preach the gospel, to lay hands on the sick. Paul, what if they don't get healed? My job is not to be the, the Lord of the harvest, not to be the Lord of the outcome, but to be the planter of the seed. All I can do is pray for healing. I can't determine who gets healed, but at least I obeyed God. At least I prayed. I can't meet everyone's needs, but at least I walked in compassion in that moment with the person who was right in front of me. When we try to carry the burden of outcome, we're lifting up this heavy pulpit and it's, it's heavy. Y'all remember when we were carrying this? It's like 150 pounds, and it gets heavier every service I talk about. It's like 200 pounds, this service. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And when I have a light burden, I have more courage and confidence because my job is not to determine how many people get saved by my sermon. My job is not to determine how many people show up or how many people respond or whether or not the lame man gets fully healed. My job is just to obey. And this holding a microphone is a lot easier than holding a pulpit. It's, this, it's the difference between the burden of obedience or the burden of outcome. Peter and John, they carried the burden of obedience and they lived with courage. And many people who heard the message believed you cannot chain up the gospel. The gospel will always advance no matter who's in office. 
That's not, a, that's not an out to not use your right to vote, but that's a reminder that no matter who's the mayor, the governor, the president in the Supreme Court, the gospel cannot be chained up. Whether it's a, a, an emperor who is evil, what, even during Hitler's time, the gospel advanced. It advanced under persecution. You cannot stop God from spreading the gospel. When Peter and John preached, it was a seed planted and it began to spread. When I was a little boy, I remember this, this man in our church, Gordon, and he just would say words to us of encouragement. He was a lawyer. He wasn't a church staff member, wasn't a pastor, wasn't a missionary, just a good, ordinary guy coming to church, just like all of us. But he would plant a seed, and he'd say, you're a mighty man of God. You got what it takes. God's going to do great things through you, Paul and John. And he would speak that, and that seed would ruminate like a virus. It would spread. Just like fear is a virus, faith is a virus. Just like, just like intimidation is a virus, courage is a virus. And he would spread it like Peter and John planted a seed in Jerusalem. Here they are. They get thrown in prison. While they're sitting in prison, I can just hear them just smiling, nodding, praising, worshiping, because they know the virus is spreading. Christianity is spreading. While they're in chains, the gospel starts moving, and people start talking. Neighbors start sharing it with others. And thousands of people got saved, all because Peter and John obeyed to preach the gospel. Never underestimate the power of the seed that comes by sharing the good news, encouraging somebody. Everybody say, I got something to share. You got something to share. This week, who could you encourage? The Bible says, train a child up in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it. It's, it's a word. It's a seed as we sow it in someone's life. I'd rather be a flawed contributor in the kingdom of God than be a judgmental critic of those who are trying. So Peter and John, they were flawed contributors. They were speaking. They were praying. They were preaching. And the next day, the religious people gathered. And I love this right here in verse 7. They said, what power? are you working with? Who gave you the authority? Whose name are you doing this in? Who showed you how to do this? Where did you learn this kind of power? We know you're not, you're not educated. You didn't graduate from a university. I love the religious guys. They're so, they're so attacking. And, uh, and Peter and John, I just love the response. They're like, let me tell you where it came from. Let me tell you where the power came from. In verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, let me tell you that we did not do this in the name of Peter, of John. We didn't do this in our own strength. We didn't bring a political agenda. We don't have a business strategy. We're not trying to win people to ourselves. We are here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It is only Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name, Peter says. There's no other way to find healing. There's no other way to experience salvation. There's no other way to be saved. Can I tell you today, you don't get to heaven by being a nice person. You don't get to heaven by being a good person. You get to heaven by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is in no other name. This bothered the religious people because they thought they could earn their salvation by being good enough, by following enough rules. And this is why they were so frustrated when they looked at Peter and John. 
that they healed a man on the Sabbath day. It broke the rules. It broke the religiosity off the city. They were flipping Jerusalem upside down. I think it's time to flip Tulsa Jerusalem upside down. It's time to bring back the focus that it is not about men and women and agendas and parties and all of that stuff. It is about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. We are going to be a spirit-empowered church that continues to point people to Jesus. So Peter and John, they were preaching, and these guys said, you're not even educated. You're not, where did you get this courage? Where did you find this courage? This last week, our, our boys finished their first year of school, and uh, my brother and I decided, and Jason, our friend, let's take our sons on a little canoe trip to celebrate a year that they just you know, finished first grade, second grade, K-5. So we took them to the Buffalo River just for the day. We drove on Friday and and we got them all out there. And so they had slingshots. They caught turtles. And they were so excited, just living wild at heart. Adventure, right? Every boy needs to be outside a little bit more. And so there we were. We were outside. And, and we came to a place where there was a waterfall. And then we came to a cliff that was overlooking the river. And I said, boys, do you all want to do something courageous? Do you want to do something brave? And they said, what is it? I said, we're going to jump off that cliff into the river. <gasps> Do you know how deep it is? I said, yeah, I've been here before. I've jumped this before. Okay, if you do it, we'll do it. So they follow us. They're walking right behind us. You know, when the disciples followed Jesus, there was something in the, in the Old Testament that if you followed a rabbi, if you were right behind your rabbi, you caught the dust that would come from his feet, it would get on your feet. It was actually a privilege to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That if you were so close to him, the dust and the, and the sand as he was walking, if it got on your feet, there was an anointing that came. You got something that your father had. People have told me before, I never knew your dad, but I feel like I know him through you. One of the highest compliments I get. I always say, well, I'm not as great as he was, but I'm trying. They said, it doesn't matter. There's something about your dad. I never knew your dad, but I feel him when I'm around. I feel like I know him. Our boys, they were walking right behind me and John and Jason. As we got to the cliff yesterday, where does courage come from? They said, Daddy, we'll do it if we see you do it. So I jump off the cliff into the river. Then John jumps off the cliff into the Then Jason jumps in. And as they watched their dads do it, as they were close to their dad, as they were close to see, they got the courage from being with us. They got the courage from watching as we approach Father's Day, it's so important, dads, that we continue to show our kids not perfection, but surrender. Just coming to church is one of the greatest examples. You're showing them how to jump off a cliff, how to be courageous, how to jump off that cliff of fear to say, hey, our church is going to show up in the middle of COVID, in the middle of a pandemic. We're going to be brave. We're not bowing down to a spirit of fear. We know it's real. He's like Goliath. He's done some painful things, but we have a God who's greater than Goliath. We're not showing up in arrogance or pride. We are walking by faith, not by fear. And we're going to show up as a church and we're going to feed the hungry and we're going to help those that are in need. And it might disturb some religious people, but we would rather please God than please man. And as our boys watched us, they jumped into the water. You could just feel the joy, the excitement. I can't believe I just did that. Did you see what I did? 
And I can just imagine Peter and John as they're talking to Jesus in the prison, as they're looking up to heaven. Did you see what just happened? We laid hands on a sick man and he got healed. And I can just see God up in heaven going, yes, that's what I've empowered the church to do. Follow the steps of your father. Where does courage come? It comes from intimacy. It comes from being with Jesus. A relationship with God will always produce greater courage than just practicing religion. That's why, church, we've got to lean into a relationship with Jesus. Today, I want to give you the chance. I want the band to come out. I'm going to give you the chance in just a few minutes to move from religion to relationship, to move from checking it off the list that you showed up to church to getting to a place of hungering and thirsting to know Jesus more. Peter and John were not the world's smartest guys, but I love that just like Paul the Apostle, he used to be a terrorist and God used him. He said, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the weak things of the world. Is there any foolish, weak, but surrendered men and women, ordinary men and women? <laughs> Y'all like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. Is there any uneducated Oklahoma people in the house today? You may not have all the degrees, but you came to church and you say, God can use me. That's all God likes. That's all God's looking for. It's just a man, a woman who says, you can use me. Lord, if there's anyone you can use, God, God is not interested in people knowing about him. He's interested in people knowing him. People truly seeking to know him. And when you know God, courage comes from a relationship with him. It produces convictions. It produces not condemnation. It produces this sense of, I, I can have boldness to come to God. I can have boldness to be used by God. And watch as the religious people try to threaten them after this. Since they saw the man who had been healed standing there with them in verse 14, there was nothing they could say. This miracle was unrefutable, undeniable. I'm believing for undeniable miracles in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at Victory Church and wherever you're watching online. And they said this, they, they dismissed Peter and John and they got together a religious huddle. Don't you love it when the religious people get in a huddle to talk about you? And so they get into a huddle and they, what are we going to do with Peter and John? We know these guys are, un, they're just uneducated. They're unqualified. They're ordinary men. We need to get rid of them. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows about this miracle though. And we can't deny what just happened, but to stop this thing from spreading. Again, you can't stop the gospel. You can't chain up the, you can arrest the preachers, but you can't arrest the message. They said, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in the name of Jesus. And this courage that was inside of Peter and John was so strong that it was more powerful than the threats of high court, more powerful than the threats of the police in the temple, more powerful than any other name. And they called them in and they commanded them, do not speak or teach again in the name of Jesus. And watch. Remember Peter? He was on the boat with Jesus when a storm came. And he was a fraidy cat. And he was, he was, I mean, panic attack Peter. Panicking Peter. He's the same guy that got out of the boat, walked on the water, and then took his eyes off Jesus and started sinking. But at least he was walking on water. He's the only disciple that tried I'd rather be a flawed contributor in the kingdom of God. At least I'm trying. At least you're trying. 
Don't let the devil beat you up with condemnation that you're not good enough, that you failed too much. At least you're trying. You're walking on water. Get your confidence back in him. The same guy who shouted at Jesus in a storm. Don't you care? We're going to drown. We're going to die. There's no way we're going to make it. The same panicking Peter is now preaching with boldness and courage. And he looks death right in the face. He looks threats right in the face. He looks prison right in the face. And he says this in verse 19. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man is a snare. It is a trap. When I fear people, I paralyze myself from living with any courage. The fear of man is a paralyzing tactic of the enemy. It keeps people from never writing books, starting businesses, launching products, stepping out to university, graduating, trying out that idea, uh, uh, asking someone to marry them. I mean, the fear of man just keeps people so afraid. Well, I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid of failing. What if I fail like, like my parents fail? What if I fail like this? And, and because I'm afraid of people not accepting me, I don't even want to go back anymore. And I'm just going to stay in this cave of fear. And fear shuts people down, paralyzes people. And Peter says, do you think that God wants us to obey you? Do you think God wants us to bow down to a spirit of fear? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Let me tell you something today. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of circumstances. Courage is not the absence of COVID-19. Courage is not the absence of government restrictions. Courage is not the absence of tyrannical governors, mayors, presidents, leaders. Courage is not the absence of Hitler. Courage is not the absence of abortion. Courage is not the absence of bad things that are happening in the world. Courage is looking everything right in the face and saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So fear, you can go back to hell where you came from. Courage, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be closer to God, so close to God that I care more about his heart than I care about pleasing the crowd because the crowd is fickle. They're with you one day and they're against you the next day. I'd rather just keep walking on the greens, hitting the golf balls. I'd rather keep shooting the shots. I'd rather be a flawed contributor in the arena of the kingdom of God than stand on the sidelines critiquing Peter and John for at least trying. So Peter looks at the religious people and he says, no, my friends, we cannot stop telling about what we've seen and heard. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot contain this passion for Jesus. I cannot contain the testimony that's inside my heart. I cannot bow down to the virus of Goliath. I cannot bow down to the virus of fear. I cannot bow down to government. I'm not going to let Disney raise my kids. I'm not going to let culture and society and liberal agendas determine what happens with our church. I choose today that I will follow God's word, God's will, God's way. Peter and John, they knew this might mean death. This might mean death on a cross upside down. John would be tortured. He would be exiled. He'd be thrown in, in boiling oil. 
then thrown into an island of Patmos, Peter would be hung upside down on a cross. Paul was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death in front of them. They counted their lives as nothing. For to live was Christ and to die was gain. Their courage was not in getting all their prayers answered or escaping death or being immortal or never having problems or never facing persecution. Their courage did not come from circumstances turning around all the way, all the time for their good. Their courage came from, I would rather follow Jesus than follow man. I would rather obey God than obey the crowd. And so Peter, <laughs> they realized, the council realized there's nothing we can do. They are unstoppable. They are unstoppable. Have you ever heard that um, Andy Mineo rap song, You Can't Stop Me? You guys know that song? If you haven't heard it, you need to go home and just listen to it. Just, just let it ruminate. Because once you understand that you are unstoppable with the Holy Spirit, once you realize that death is not the end, to live is Christ and to die is gain, then you realize I can live with more courage. I can be more bold. And without wanting to start a riot, they decided to withdraw. And they released Peter and John. And everyone began to praise God. Now, I want to skip forward. Peter and John go back to the church. They tell them, guys, they can't stop the gospel. The church is spreading like wildfire. Don't miss this last part. It's probably one of my favorite parts of the sermon that I've been preparing for you. When they heard the report, they start, they start giving God praise. The church just starts shouting. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them. You knew about this. You knew that this would happen. David prophesied this. Go to verse 26. They said this, the kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Messiah. Verse 27. In fact, this happened right here in Jerusalem. They turned against Jesus, your holy servant. Verse 28, they crucified him. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And verse 29, and now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness, boldness, courage to preach your word and confirm it, Lord. Stretch out your hand with healing power in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in victory 11 a.m. service. May miraculous signs, 11:15 a.m. service, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's about to happen, y'all. Revival. It's just the beginning. After this prayer, the meeting place began to shake. Come on, there, there was a shaking that began to happen in the room. There was like an earthquake. It was like drums just began to pound and beat. The whole place they were in started to feel like a rumble, a rumble, a revival, the sound of something fresh. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the Word of God with boldness, boldness, courage. And all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great grace, great grace, his great favor, his great grace was upon the church so powerfully. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. I believe the grace of God, the great grace of God is about to touch you. But I wanna do something today. All of it started because Peter and John answered a need. None of this, this, none of this revival, this earthquake, this Holy Spirit empowerment, this explosion of the early church would have happened had they not stopped and met a need. So I want to stop right now and meet a need. If you have a need today, whatever that need is, 
I turned to our CFO last night. I said, what do we have to, to give every single week in benevolence towards people that have needs? And every week our church is always trying to do whatever we can to meet people's needs whether it's paying for electricity bills or helping someone find an apartment or helping someone with, with whatever we can, gas money, high, gas prices are high. As a church, we always try to do what we can for whoever we can because that's the calling of the church to help those that are poor and in need and those that have fallen on hard times to get back up again. And so last night we, we asked, hey, does anyone have needs? And people came up and some people had big needs. We couldn't meet all their needs, but we were able to meet part of their needs. And they were so thankful that we were even willing to try to help them with part of their needs. And one couple came up, they said, we're believing God for a house. I said, okay, I don't have a house yet. They said, no, 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 it's okay. We wanna sow towards people who have needs. We wanna help that benevolence fund. So tonight we're going to give a $5,000 check seed to help meet the needs of people in the church this weekend who have needs that the church can. Oh my goodness, I start, I was, I was blown away. I almost started crying right there. And y'all, this family's about to get a house. I said, God sees your seed. And I believe he's going to answer your prayer for a house. They said, we're believing God to move into a house this summer. How many of y'all will pray that that couple gets a house this summer? I'm gonna help them find a house. But out of their own need, they said, we want to help other people's needs. We had people, even in the last service, they said, who, who has needs? I want to help meet some needs. I, this week, what if you did this? Here's how the gospel spread. Here's how Acts chapter 4 took off. It started with Peter and John stopping to help someone in need. They used what they had. They started where they were. You don't have to go on a missions trip to reach people. They're right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There are people at Walmart, Quick Trip, people in our parking lot people who are coming back from PGA, people that you're gonna ride with this week, people in your neighborhood, people at the airport, people all over our city, people in North, South, East, and West Tulsa, they need victory. They need someone to stop and see them and speak to them and pray for them. You go, Paul, if I pray for them, people might find out I'm a Christian. Good. It's about time you showed them that you were. Paul, if I lay hands on the sick and they don't get healed, what do I do? You're not in charge of the outcome. You're just in charge of obedience. Just pray for them. Just pray that God's not finished with their story, that their best days are in front of them. This week, as I was doing this, I just watched this one by one, each person that God wants to do something through you this week. You don't have to wait to, to activate this sermon. You can activate it today. When you go to the restaurant, pray for your waitress, pray for the waiter, leave them a tip, let them know God loves them. Write a little note on that tip. Your best days are right in front of you. God's not finished with you yet. Join me at Victory Church next Sunday, 11:15 a.m. Do something for somebody this week and watch what God will do. As Peter and John did one thing for one person, 5,000 people got saved. The Holy Spirit poured out. So if you have a need, would you just raise your hand if you got a need? I wanna, I wanna see what we can do. All right. As soon as I have an altar, as soon as we do the altar call and we dismiss, I want you to come down. We have a team of people. They're going to write down whatever your need is, or there's a website that we've got that people can send your needs to. I don't know if we have that. We can throw it up on the screen. Um, there it is right there, victory.com slash help. And we're going to do whatever we can to help you. If you're watching online, we're going to try to help. How many of y'all think it's a good idea when the church just does something nice for people just because that's what the church does? It happens every week, but this week I want to emphasize it because this is how the early church, as they were meeting in homes, as they were sharing the resources. This last week we had a family in Manford. We blessed them with a brand new mobile home, but here's what happened. Their previous mobile home just four weeks ago burned in a fire. 
all, they lost everything. They lost their clothes, their furniture, their whole mobile home, burned to the ground. Well, our Manford campus heard about it. They said, we've got a little bit in our benevolence fund, not enough to, to, to help them. Could Victory Tulsa partner? I said, yeah, let's, let's use the benevolence fund for Victory Tulsa. And Victory North said, we want to be a part of that. We'll give towards it too. All three campuses came together. We bought them a brand new mobile home with new furniture. And that, I mean, they were so blessed. They were testifying about it. The whole town of Manford knows this family. They've seen this family. They knew what happened to them. They heard about the fire. When they heard what the church did for them, people who haven't been to church in a long time are now being open to come back to church and hearing the gospel because good deeds opens the door for good news. And when people hear the good news, it saves entire communities and families. And before you know it, Manford's coming to Jesus. Tulsa's coming to Jesus. Come on, golfers are coming to Jesus. All because one person, maybe you're in the back row, maybe you're in the middle, maybe you're in the front. And you say, I wonder this week who I could help. I wonder whose need I could meet this week. Just praying for someone, just being a Gordon for just encouraging somebody. Maybe it's a young teenager that you know, maybe. And people will go, did you hear what that church did, Victory? How they helped pay the hospital bills for that one family? Did you hear how the church took care of that couple that was walking through a storm? And instead of them falling apart, the church surrounded them with great grace. And now that couple's doing better than they've ever done. Did you hear what the church did for the foster care kids? Did you hear what Victory did for the orphans? They brought them in. Did you hear how Victory's taking care of the single parent moms in the city and single parent dads in the city? Did you hear what Victory did for the widows in the city? Can you imagine when atheist and non-church people start finding out what Victory he's doing for so many people across the city i'm telling you the gospel's gonna spread like never before revival always follows when peter and john show up and i'm looking at peter and john in the room god has called you he's equipped you you might be unschooled you might be ordinary you may not be the most courageous person in your family but courage doesn't come from where you graduated from courage doesn't come from how strong you are in the gym Courage doesn't come from what position or title you have. Courage doesn't come from circumstances being perfect in your life. Courage comes from being in his presence. And today, you have been in the presence of God. And you're going to leave with greater courage than you came in with. You're going to leave with greater boldness. So I'm going to just ask us, we've already looked at people who have needs. I want to pray for those of you that are here today that say, I want to walk and activate the courage and the boldness of God in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand. You just want to walk in greater courage, greater boldness. And then there's a group, you just need grace. As I said, great grace, it was for you. Some of you are walking through something painful and you need great grace. If you need great grace for your family, your heart, your marriage, your mind, your situations right now, would you just leave your seat? Everyone who raised your hand, just join me at this altar. Those with needs, those that are activating courage and compassion, those who need grace, just leave your seat. If you're here today and you raised your hand or you needed prayer, just leave your seat. The first step towards revival is making a personal decision to say, I'm getting things right with God. I'm letting God intervene in my life. I'm letting the Holy Spirit get a hold of my heart. Just come and find a place at this altar. Whatever it is, bring your need down. Bring your situation down. If you need grace, if you need courage, if you need to get your confidence back, if you need to get your boldness back, and let's just begin to worship. Lamar, would you lead us in that song this morning?
knows what you need. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're asking for. Just talk to God right here at this altar. Just tell him what's on your heart. Yeah. Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for great grace. Great grace. Great grace. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're filling us with courage, boldness. The fear of man is being broken. Intimidation is being broken. Shame is being broken. Lord, I thank you, God, for grace coming in and replacing the shame of the enemy, replacing the fear that the enemy has used. Courage in Jesus' name. God's going to use you. You are not disqualified. You are not unworthy. You are his daughter, his son. You are a mighty man. He's renewing your mind. He's renewing your heart. He's healing your marriage. He's healing your family. Yes. As you begin to worship, he's taking away your worry. He's taking away your fear. beside each one of you at this altar and he's just it's like he's just hugging you even if you don't want it even if you're resistant he's saying I got you I'm with you I am strengthening you I am holding you I'm giving you the courage you need I'm helping you cut off the 
strings that have been holding you back, the ties that have been holding you back from living free from the enemy's hold on you. God says, I'm, I'm breaking all of that off. I'm washing you. I'm dusting off the areas where you feel like you fell and you missed it. And God says, I'm putting a fresh dust on your feet. It's the dust of the rabbi. It's the anointing that Jesus says, you're going to walk in great grace. It's a, it's a fresh, it's something good. There's, there's an actual mud in Israel that if you use this mud, it makes your skin clear. And I remember going when I was younger with my parents, it was a real blessing. We got to go there as a church and we were in, we were down there by the Dead Sea. And the tour guide, he said, this mud has been here for thousands of years and it's, it's like holy mud. And they use it to help people's skin become clearer, younger, fresher. It actually makes you age backwards, which is a good thing. But they said, you know, you gotta keep the mud on you because it's, it's good mud. And uh, the longer it's on you, as it's on you, it begins to heal pores in your skin. And I just felt like as I was walking and praying, some of you guys have been covered in the wrong dust and God says, I'm washing that off and I'm putting something good on you. It's, it's clean, it's cleaning you, it's renewing you, it's something from the scripture and it's, it's holy and he's gonna cover you in it with great grace and he's gonna renew your youth like the wings of an eagle. He's gonna, what the enemy stole from you, years that the locust stole, you're about to get your years back. Restoration of years, restoration of youth, restoration of joy, of peace. Some of you lost your courage and your confidence because of a storm you walked through, because of a battle you walked through, because of uh, an attack that happened against your family or you. And God says, I'm gonna restore your confidence back. I'm gonna restore your courage back. You're gonna be able to pray like you used to, but even a better way of praying. You're gonna be able to believe God for things like you. You're gonna get your faith back. You're gonna get your hope back in Jesus' name. For some of you in this room, you've been facing great needs and you've been wondering, God, do you see the needs that I have? And today is just an indicator. God says, I see it and I'm, I'm going to use victory to help meet some of those needs in your life. But even if victory can't do all of it, God says, I'm lining up provision. I am Jehovah Jireh and I'm lining up. I'm going to take care of the gas. I'm going to get that job that you've been believing for. I'm going to take care of you and your company where you've been overlooked. God says, I'm about to promote you so that you can be a blessing to people around you as you stand strong in the Lord, God's going to cause his favor to shine upon you. May his favor be upon you and on your children and your children's children. May his presence go before you and behind you, all around you. Lord, I thank you, God, in the morning, in the evening, God, that you would continue to just let your favor rest on us. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. Thank you, Jesus, for great grace, great grace. I receive it by faith. Thank you, Jesus, for renewing me, reviving me, refreshing me, restoring me for your glory. I turn from sin and I look to you and I receive your forgiveness. Use me, God, for your kingdom. Use me, Lord. I surrender to you. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.